Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Listen as Pastor Jahan Cox teaches on enlarging your capacity. It is the beginning of the year. Uh, so I really believe that believers and non-believers alike, people that are not associated with the kingdom at all, um, really seize this time of year because we get a fresh start. Right? You get like a blank slate, you get to start over. Um, I believe that we do that because we're hardwired for redemption. All of us have this crying out for a fresh start, for brand new, for a forgetting of yesterday and pressing on to something ahead. Believers and non-believers are like, it's, it's hardwired into our DNA. And so I want to just tap into that. I want to just tell you that um, it's really important for us to understand that the mark that you're trying to hit is in front of you and not behind you. It's in front of you and not behind you. I just, I say that prophetically today. Some of you are so mourning the opportunities that you've missed that it's hard for you to set your gaze forward. But the mark you're trying to hit is in front of you. It's not behind you. Um, When we don't get a fresh start, when we don't get a blank slate, we lose hope, right? The stuff piles up and it's death to our spirit and to our soul. And um, I really believe hope is foundational to the life of a believer. It's very, very important for you to have hope. I just wanted to read a couple things to you from Psalm and Proverb about hope. Psalm 27, 14 said, here's what I've learned through it all. Don't give up. Don't be impatient. Be entwined as one with the Lord. Be brave and courageous and never lose hope. Say that with me. Never lose hope. Yes, keep on waiting for he will never disappoint you. Oh, I love that. Proverbs 13 and 12. When hope's dreams seem to drag on and on, the delay can be depressing. Anybody ever been there before? It's like, you know, the delay can be, dep- that's going to sound great on podcast. <laughs> what did she just do right there? It's like an elefante sound. Okay. <laughs> when hope's dreams seem to drag on and on, the delay can be depressing. But when at last your dream comes true, life's sweetness will satisfy your soul. Paul said it like this, forget what's behind, press towards what's ahead of you. I want to tell you today that we've got some serious pressing to do. I say that prophetically over you as a church body. I say that over you as individuals. There's a whole lot for you to seize this year. There was a whole lot for you to seize last year. There was a whole lot for you to seize in 2018. There's nothing special, more special about 2020 than has been. But because we're hardwired for redemption and fresh starts and you perceive a fresh start and you synced up with your culture and everybody's got new planners and it's time for me to get back to my diet and back to my exercise routine. Skinny people need to exercise too, okay? It's true. We think about it too. When we try to dance and we run out of breath, We think I should probably start exercising. Everybody in the culture is doing it. As a matter of fact, Lifehouse Coffee, the sweets, nobody will buy sweets for the first month, and then they start buying them again in February. It's the way our culture is wired. And so because of that, there's an opportunity for you to seize 
man, God's going to do something this year and for your hope to rise. So I just want to speak to that today. I want to talk to you um, really, if I would find a title today, I would say enlarge your capacity. Enlarge your capacity. I've been hearing that for about three weeks and I'm like, okay, what does that mean? What does that mean? Please don't tell me it means another baby. Please, God, don't tell me it means another baby. <laughs> Please, Lord. Eight is a great number. So um, I don't presume to know what the Lord means when he says things. I did that for a while, and I kept looking like a fool. So now I just say, this is what I'm hearing. This is kind of what I'm understanding. We'll see how it plays out. All right. So um, I looked up the word enlarge. I'm going to stick very closely with my notes today because I really, I feel like it's really great on here. And so if I just stick to this, we'll do good today. <laughs> it makes sense on here. If I get away from it, it may not make sense. So the word enlarge, when used as a verb, duh, means to make larger, to increase in extent, bulk, or quantity, to add to. If I were to use it in a sentence, they enlarged the house by adding an east wing, okay? To increase the capacity or the scope of, to literally expand, okay? So the Lord gave me two prophetic pictures of this, or you could say illustrations, but I think they prophesy to us today, so I'm going to call them prophetic pictures. Um, the first of those, there's another definition for the word um, expand, and it means to take a photographic print, and what you would do is you would take the, the original, you would project it through a lens and enlarge it and then make the copy of the enlarged on a bigger canvas. Does that make sense? So, for example, this is a perfectly legitimate size photograph professionally taken in the year 2012. <laughs> I need new family pictures, okay? So this is a five by seven. This is fine. There's nothing wrong with this picture, right? Nothing wrong with it. Why do I need to make it bigger? So you can see it better, right? Okay. So the reason God says there's nothing wrong with the original. Hear me. Those of you that feel like this invitation is God's not okay with the way I am and I'm screwing things up, and so he wants to make me larger, and he's trying to make me better. Some of that's true, but there's nothing wrong with this original. The reason to make this larger is so that it can be seen. God wants to take your life and expand it and enlarge it and increase it so that you're more easily seen. Why? Because you're called to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth. You're a city set up on a hill, right? Five by seven's great. Whatever size this is, it's large. It's greater, right? I like this one better. This one looks great on my wall. It's got to come down, though, because there's only six children in that. Also, I want to say I was thinking about this illustration this morning, and the Lord said to me, that picture's not complete. But in 2012, you thought it was complete. In 2012, I thought this was so complete. I ordered a Shutterfly book. Any mamas order Shutterfly? Oh, that is so dusty. Praise <laughs> Praise the Lord. Those of you that thought I kept a clean house now know otherwise. Um, 
I, I ordered one of those Shutterfly books, you know, where you post the things and you, like, make a memory book of your family. And I made one, and I was so convinced that we were done that I put, you know, Nehemiah, Benjamin, Team Cox, like, on the front of this Shutterfly book that I cannot erase. It says, Team Cox Complete. I was totally convinced we were done, right? In 2012, I could not see past six. There was grace for six until two and a half years later, God starts talking to Michael about number seven. He did not talk to me, by the way. Talk to Michael. I don't like that. I like it when God tells both of us at the same time. I do not like when one knows and the other's playing catch up, and that's what happened, and I caught up the day I took a pregnancy test. And... <laughs> I was having dreams, I was having warnings, but I was declaring a spiritual baby because I had had six physical. Why not have a spiritual one? It was time for a spiritual baby. <laughs> but I had number seven, and at number seven I said, I'm done. And now we have a Jehu. I say that to say, never stop learning. Never stop growing. Never evaluate. I have arrived. I've got it all figured out. I've attained all the dreams. I've hit all the goals. I'm in the house I want to be in. I'm in the marriage I want to be in. I have the kids I want to have. I've got the job I want to have, making the salary I want to have. Oh my goodness, your life is so much more than that. It's so much more than that. And when you take a snapshot and decide that it's done, you rob yourself of number seven and number eight, whose lives are far more reaching than mine. They're going to have more impact than mine because they're second generation, third generation, I don't know, I've lost, of godly seed, and they're going to have influence because there's going to be provision and a preparation made for them. And so my life gets bigger when I keep saying yes. This is not a sermon for moms to have more babies, okay? You do you. You have two, three, five, eight, whatever. I'm saying for me, at one time, and still, I'm tempted to say, okay, we're done with that. And when we say that, we remove, we remove the opportunity for God to do more than we ever thought, dreamed, or imagined. Amen? So the second prof uh, prophetic picture God gave me, uh, let's go to Jeremiah 18, 1 through 6. I'm going to read it in the NASB first, and then we'll read it in New Living. So NASB, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will announce my words to you. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something on the wheel. But the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter. So he remade it into another vessel, as it pleased the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as this potter does, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Let me read this to you in New Living. Go down to the potter's house. This is Jeremiah the prophet, and God's trying to speak to him about the land that he's in, the condition of the hearts of the people, and so he uses a picture. It's not outside of God's nature to do that. That's why Jesus taught in parables. Go down to the potter's shop, and I will speak to you there. So I did, as he told me, and found the potter working at his wheel. But the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped. 
So he crushed it into a lump of clay again and started over. Then the Lord gave me this message, O Israel, can I not do to you as this potter has done to his clay? As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. All right, I want to read it one more time. Just the last few verses, okay? The jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped, so he crushed it into a lump of clay again and started over. Then the Lord gave me this message, O Redemption Life Church. Can I not do to you as this potter has done to his clay? Oh, Catherine Sandberg, can I not do, is it Cat? Caitlin. Catherine was just so professional in my mind, and therefore I renamed you. Well, there you go. See, just take it. Take it and eat it. Catherine, Caitlin, it's nearly the same. I'm just kidding. Forgive me. I just assume, Kat, that's what happens when you assume. Oop, on podcast. Okay. (laughs) Go. (sighs) This is why Michael speaks. Go down to the potter's shop, and I will speak to you there. Amanda, go down to the potter's shop, and I will speak to you there. Can I not do with you, Amanda, what I did with the clay? That's the question the Lord is asking us this morning. Can I not do to you what I just did there? Here's the deal. There's nothing wrong with this pot. It's a great pot. It's a great pot. It's pretty. We're going to pretend that these two pots are made of the same substance. They aren't. Turns out I don't have a lot of clay at my house or pottery. I really never thought about that till today, and I thought, well, shoot, I need some. But anyways... Uh, This is about the only two decorative pieces I have in my house. What does that say about me? I'm not grown yet. Okay. (laughs) This is a great pot. There's nothing wrong with this pot. It's pretty. It serves its purpose. God is committed to the original blueprint he has for you. He's so committed. He's so, so, he's way more committed to you being the real you than you are running from the real you. He's so committed to you. There's a book in heaven about you, in the libraries of heaven, Psalm 139. There's a book, and in that book are more thoughts that he thinks about me than all the sand on the seashore in the entire earth. There's a book, days, plans, dreams, purposes written just for me, my own book. When someone prophetically speaks something to you, they're just reading off the page of that book, calling you to be who the Father's heart really created you to be. So if this is you and your capacity is, you know, 24 ounces, and you're doing fine at 24 ounces, but you're intended to hold much more, then is it not the kindness and the goodness of God to break this down and to make it again? Is it not the kindness of God to keep bringing you back to the mountain that keeps staring you in the face that you think is impossible and saying, you were made to conquer this mountain. I'm not letting you run from the mountain. We're coming to face it again. And I'm hoping and believing, praying and declaring. I've got heaven cheering you on with the cloud of witnesses and friends on the earth standing in the gap, making declaration that this time you're not running. This time you're going to conquer. 
God is fine with letting you come up against conflict after conflict after conflict to touch that same wound that he's trying to get healed in you so that your capacity to increase and hold more grows. When we say, this is great, this is fine, this is all I'll ever be, that's not a humble statement. It's actually defying and in contrast, in contradiction with what God has for you. So if you feel God tugging and pulling and yanking and saying, nope, we got to deal with this again. Nope, we got to deal with this again. I almost see like this image of God with a dog that is, you know, got a collar and a leash. Not That sounds harsh, but like the dog's trying to wander over and the, the owner's like, nope, coming back to this. Nope, we got we to gotta learn this. We got to learn this. We got to learn this. It's the kindness of God to make you rehearse those things. If you do conflict poorly, he's going to keep letting you have conflict. Till you learn how to do it from a place of grace and redemption. Till you don't pitch a fit and get angry every time and cut people off. He's going to do it over and over and over and over again. I actually find that conflict and trials, and I, I believe God's word backs it up, is where you find the most growth. Because it causes you to come out of your own nature and your own thought patterns and your own mechanisms and go, I can't do this anymore. I need you to help me. I need you to help me see this differently. And you won't get there until you're tired of running the hamster wheel. So it's the kindness of God to go, we got to deal with this. We got to deal with this. We got to deal with this. So God will take a perfectly decent, fine, lovely container, pot, pottery, and he will break it down as so, so many prophetic images. And he will water it again. And he will add to it. And then he will make it again, only this time larger. So that you can hold more. Not so you can hold more money. Not so you can hold more success. Not so you can hold more stuff, but so you can hold more, house more of him. He's the one you're really designed to house. He's the one you're designed to host. He's the one that created you to completely fill you up with himself. And so if God's going to get the dreams and the purposes and the, the things, all the things in the book to you, he has to make room in you for him. Because he brings all that stuff. Some of you, you're, you're looking forward, but your eyes are on the wrong target. Your eyes are on things and menial tasks and accomplishments and promotions or um, whatever it is you think your dream is, he's the dream. I mean, he's the dream. He's it. He's the prize. And with him comes all the things you're really longing for. If you're going to do more than you've ever done before, if you're going to do or see something more in 2020 than you saw last year, you have to do something you've never done. 
I'm going to say that again. If you're going to see something, do something, hold something, be a part of something that you were not formally a part of, you are going to have to do some things, see some, see some things, go for some things you've never done before. Which means it's going to feel new and awkward and weird. Anybody ever remember learning how to ride a bike or tie your shoes? Or girls use a curling iron. Oh, my gosh, that's a, that's a task. You know, don't burn yourself, and it's bad. Ears, all these fragile things, and I burnt myself a lot. It marked me, can you tell? <laughs> so if you're going to do things you've never done, you're going to have to try new stuff. You're going to have to do things you've never done before. If you keep doing what you've always done, and you expect something new, you're deceived. Yeah. Yeah. You're just blind and deceived. I love you. But you're not going to keep, you're not going anywhere new. You're not conquering any new territory. You're not going to see breakthrough in relationships. You're not going to see increase in your finances. You're not going to see redemption in your family. You're not going to see promotion at your job. You're not going to see what you're praying for if you don't do things you haven't done before. And I'm not talking about working out and exercising. That is not this January sermon. You know, if you want muscles, you got to work out in the gym. I'm not, that's not where I'm going. I'm not talking about striving and earning. I'm talking about yielding and submitting and resting to, a, to things you've never submitted to before. Yielding to God doing things you've never done before. Giving like you've never given before. Laying down in conflict and saying, I refuse to argue and fight with you. Your relationship is, with me is more important. I don't care about being right anymore. I'm laying down and I'm dying to myself. You and me being connected is more important. Maybe you've never done that before. Maybe it's time you start. Because you're not going to see redemption and breakthrough in relationships if somebody doesn't die. Jesus modeled it for us so beautifully. You're more important and valuable to me than being right. I am right. You are wrong. I'm not trying to prove I'm right and you're wrong. That was pointless for Jesus to do with us. So he laid down and he died and showed us how to lay down and die so that connection and relationship can be restored. And that has to happen if we're going to see redemption in relationships. So I'm not talking about working harder and striving and earning. I'm talking about yielding to things maybe you've been resistant to in the past. Amen? When God invites you to do something outside of your normal, he is not violating who you are. Let me say that again. If God is inviting you to do something outside of your normal, he's not violating who you are. Rather, because that's not in his nature, right? God doesn't violate you or the purpose you were created for. That's outside of who he is. He's good. He's kind. He's merciful. He's long-suffering. He's compassionate. Rather, he's calling you to the real you that you don't see, and he does see. Okay, I'm going to give you a, a silly example because, uh, I, I don't know, I feel like it relates and it's personal. I can only tell my stories, right? I can't tell yours. So um, about, so Josiah was one, so it would have been 11 years ago. 
um, I had gone and ministered at a conference and sang for like three or four hours. And I don't know what was so different about singing for three or four hours at that point, but I just completely destroyed my voice. It was a really long weekend. I like went for it, you know, and uh, really just immaturity and stupidity, but it's fine. So I had, um, I developed polyps on my vocal cords. And so um, I could tell something wasn't right. So I went to an ear, nose, and throat. He was like, yep, I absolutely see this thing. It's not working. Um, you're going to be on voice rest for six weeks. <laughs> what? <laughs> I have a one, a two, and a three-year-old. How are we doing voice rest? He's like, I don't know. You're going to have to figure it out. But if you don't be silent, you won't heal. And this is, you know, you're talking to someone whose primary, you know, thing in life is singing. So I'm like, okay. Six weeks of being quiet. That will make you do some searching. I don't know if any of you know this about me. If you're close to me at all, you know this, and you don't, you don't tell me because you don't want to hurt my feelings, but I just realized it about three weeks ago, and I'm kind of disturbed by what the Lord said to me, but I'm not a good listener. I'm actually really bad at it. I'm horrible at it. When you're talking, I'm annoyed. I know I don't say that, but, like, I get annoyed on the inside. I'm trying to be transparent. I do. I genuinely, like, I'm going, oh, my gosh, how long is this going to last? I need to tell you something. Listen to me. When I'm talking, I'm fine. I'm really fine. I love to tell you everything about me, <laughs> all the things I'm learning and all the things you need to learn. <laughs> I'm sure that's rooted in pride. I'm going to deal with it. I'm in the process. I'm just saying, I, real, I just realized I'm a really awful listener. I probably need to work on that. I've almost said yes. <laughs> I'm a horrible at counseling people because I have to listen. And I want to be like, can, we, can I just tell you what's wrong with you? You go fix it and we be done with all this. I promise you that's not good, but that's just, I need to work on it, Okay. <laughs> I really do need to work on it. <sighs> Anyhow, I'm not good at listening. So having to not talk for six weeks was really difficult. Having to not sing was really difficult. So I went to several services in that time. I mean, obviously I was in church all the time, but I remember for some reason going to several pivotal services for me. I don't know where I guess I, I probably, I wasn't ministering and I was just there receiving. And, um, and I remember thinking... <laughs> I have to worship, and I can't sing. What am I going to do? You know, and I'm like, this isn't enough. I can't go, you know. And so I just really feel, remember feeling like, if I don't let this out, I'm going to lose it. You know, like I have to, something else has to come out because I can't sing, and this just isn't enough, you know. <laughs> and so I started, my dancing days began, and I started, like, flailing my legs out like a wild goat, you know, and I just... Had myself a party. I sweated. I, I, my legs hurt for three days afterwards. I had never done that before. Um, I was kind of a, a mini jumper. You know, this is me. When I got excited, this is me. Yes. Yes. This is me. You know? <laughs> uh, you don't have the tame version of me anymore. Sorry. So I learned in that season in a difficult place where I couldn't sing anymore oh, there's more to me. I'm not just a singer. I'm, I'm like 
I'm all out. I would have told you before, I'm not a dancer. I don't really dance well. I'm kind of, I look awkward. So I'm not a dancer. And I was taught in church when I started going, you don't dance unless like God makes you dance. You know, God goes, makes you dance, you know. I really thought that's what happened. I didn't, I didn't know that it was like this thing you like participated in, you know. So I was like, well, God is not making me dance. This is all I got. I mean, so. But I came to this place where I was like, I, this, isn't, this isn't enough. And so there was this invitation for more of who I really was to come into the forefront, to step out, to do something I'd never done. And in that, I found, oh, my gosh, I love to dance. I, I love it. It looks horrible, but I love it. I absolutely love it. I could do it. I, if I could figure out how to do it and sing, I would do it all the time. But I can't. I sound, it's very bad, actually. Um, when Paul goes to do, you know, the recording things, and he's like, I can't use that clip because you sound like you're dying. There's lots of panting happening. and <laughs> So I can't. I can't sing and dance at the same time. So I really love it when I don't have to lead and I can just, whoa, you know, go for it. But there are going to be opportunities for you this year. And you're going to, you're going to stand at, not, I'm not even talking huge crossroads or huge circumstances. I'm talking about just little windows of opportunity where you're going to say, uh, that's not my thing. In your own blindness, in your own comfort, in your own apathy, and, and just uh, and where you are, that's not my thing. But there's this invitation for you to live every day like, is that my thing? Something new we want to try? Are you inviting me into something? Is there something outside of what I've known before that you're inviting? Is there more of you that I can access in this moment? Is there a, a part of your heart and your nature to be discovered in this moment? Instead of us just dismissing, like God doesn't know and God doesn't order our steps and God doesn't position us and we just, you know, oh, no, that's not my thing. He positioned you yeah. in front of that thing yeah. and you decide, well, whose thing is it? If it's not yours, whose is it? Why are you standing in front of it? Why is the opportunity going, John? You know? We just dismiss it, and I really believe, it's not like we don't go to heaven over stuff like that. I just believe that I, a really incredible mentor, lady friend of mine, um, said this to me one day, and I don't know if it's true or not. I'm, I'm not suggesting that it's biblical. I do think that it is a profound statement that got me to go, whew. She's like, I don't want to make it to heaven one day, and God peel back this curtain and go, I had all of this for you. But you said, eh, that's not my thing. I don't know because there's no sorrow and no pain in heaven. I mean, I can't imagine God being like, hey, you missed out on all this. But um, I have had moments like that here on this side where God's let me see. I actually had this for you 10 years ago. I'm so good. I brought you right back around to it. But I had this for you 10 years ago, and you dismissed it. It was in my heart for you all this time. But you weren't willing. You weren't ready. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. We all experience times of testing, which is normal for every human being. But God will be faithful to you, 
I love this. He will screen and filter the severity, the nature, and the timing of every test or trial you face so that you can bear it. And each test, hear this, each test is an opportunity to trust him more. For along with every trial, God has provided for you a way of escape that will bring you out of it victoriously. I used to read that scripture in context of sin. God's trying to bring us out of sin. But uh, James says that God never tempts us. Um, But the word is clear that he's not afraid to allow us to be tested or refined. Broke down, added to, enlarge, make you brand new. He's not afraid to do that. He's actually super good at it. (laughs) He's so committed to you learning to trust him more because he knows on the other side of the trust is what you've prayed for, is what you dream of, is what you've asked for. 2 Corinthians 4.17, you've heard this so many times, I know. We view our slight, short-lived troubles in the light of eternity. We see our difficulties as the substance that produces for us an eternal, weighty glory far beyond all comparison. See, when God made you and the book about you was written in his heart and his mind before the foundations of the world, and God made you, God put his glory in you. That's why you dance like you dance or sing like you sing or paint like you paint or uh, lead like you lead. Some of you would, would walk into a kindergarten room, even as a kindergartner, and would organize and lead. Why? Because that's the glory, the essence God put in you. Leader, he put leadership in you or he put organization in you or he put speaking in you or he put the creative arts in you, whatever. It looks different across the room. But that thing in you that keeps crying out to come alive and increase is God's glory in you. It's his essence, his nature, his reputation. It's in you. You're just the house for it. And if God is going to increase in you, your house is to get bigger. Right? Who you are, the shell, the house for him has to grow and enlarge so he can grow and enlarge. Romans 5, 4, patient endurance will refine our character and proven character leads us back to hope. God isn't messing with you to make you feel hopeless. He's not messing with you to frustrate you. He's not messing with you to take stuff from you. He's not messing with you because he's playing hide and seek and he's mean. He's messing with you because he's trying to reposition you to hope again. Hope again. There's more, so I'm repositioning you to hope again. I'm not afraid of you being uncomfortable. I'm not afraid of you pitching a fit because I see what's on the other side of it. And I'm just trying to reposition you to hope again, to dream again, for the, the glory of God in you to increase again. The invitation is from glory to 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 glory, which looks like increase, 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 more increase. That's what our lives should look like. Amen. Praise the Lord. A couple of things. 
That was awesome. Uh, I want to talk to you just really briefly about some things that I feel like are specific to our body, and some of it, it's very, very specific to you. There are some things God's already been dealing with you about um, as, as people, because like I said, the nature of society at this time of the year is to reflect, you know, to get our planners and do all the things. But um, some things I feel like the Lord said specifically are opportunities in front of us, like Redemption Life Church for the next year um, is, Michael talked about it last week a little bit on relationships. Um, specifically, I want to talk to you about uh, generations coming together in relationships. I feel like we have a real beautiful opportunity here for the generation, there to not be a generational gap. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we are living in a microwave, instant pot society, right? I want the roast that takes 10 hours to cook to do it in one hour. As a matter of fact, I got an instant pot. I got two instant pots for Christmas. And I actually, if I can convince my mother-in-law to let me have the second one, um, I think I need two because, I mean, I cook for a lot of people, you know, rice in one, meat in the other. But I got two instant pots for Christmas. And I decided the first night I was going to use it that I had this roast and they, that my mother and my mother-in-law got it for me in hopes that I could, you know, come home from all the crazy running kids and still have like a good, decent meal quickly, which is kind of how I need to roll. So I had this chuck roast and I was like, let's try it. Read the directions. Did have to have Michael's assistance because I'm really bad with directions. And um, so I'm like, yes, this is good. I pull out the roast and Michael's like, it's not tender. It's tough. And I was mad. Like I was, like I felt angry. I wasn't disappointed. I was in a little frustrated. I was mad. How dare this Instant Pot advertise fall off the bone texture for meat and not produce that for me. I put it on the right setting. I put it on, the, I even gave it an extra five minutes. And it's rubber. You know, I was mad. Actually, Michael, after he cut it like he was supposed to with the correct grain or whatever, it actually wasn't bad at all. That's another story. A whole nother lesson. Anyways, it actually was pretty decent, and especially for an hour pot roast. We are living in a society that wants things like this. This is the generation that our children are being raised up in. Okay, let me read this to you. This is going to blow your mind. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> Inventor R. Buckminster, <laughs> would change my name, estimated that up until 1900, human knowledge doubled approximately every century. Okay? But by 1945, it was doubling every 25 years. By 1982, it was doubling every 12 to 13 months. It is now estimated that by 2020, human knowledge will be doubling every 12 hours. Right? Mind blown? Here's the deal, though. Society around us is constantly learning. Every 12 hours, information's doubled. That's insane. Okay, wrap your head around that. Over time, one group of facts replaces another. Okay, so a century ago, it would have taken 35 years 
for half of what an engineer learned when earning their degree to be disproved or, dis or replaced. It would have taken 35 years, okay? By the 1960s, that time span shrank to a decade. Now it seems that our life skills that we learn, the knowledge that we learn, has like an 18-month window. They're saying even now that those earning college degrees in 10 years, their degree is pot. Because knowledge is changing and increasing at such a rapid rate. If the carnal world around us keeps learning and growing, why is the kingdom of heaven, those of us carrying the kingdom who never ends and is always increasing, why are we not growing at the same rate? Why are we not increasing? Why is our glory not expanding? The problem that we have in society with generations where you have someone who knowledge, you know, doubled every 10 years to those of us being raised now and, you know, five and six-year-olds on the phone, knowledge being replaced every 12 hours, is there's, there's an obvious disconnect. There's an obvious disconnect. There's, there's this, I've learned, I've, I've practiced this, this is true to me. And then there's this other generation who like, oh, that worked, you know, six months ago. It doesn't work anymore. I mean, you know. And so there's this huge gap, if you will. If that were all our relationship were based on, that would make sense. But our connection is bigger than that because we're kingdom people. And we're in the same kingdom, with the same king, with the same Holy Spirit, who is speaking to the church, yeah. and who speaks to the 70-year-old and the 17-year-old, and can say the same thing, and both can come into agreement, and lock arms, yeah. and walk together, and see the kingdom of God advanced in the earth. Amen? Yeah. So I really feel this invitation for Redemption Life Church to lock arms generationally to get past all the, well, they do this and I do this and we're different. Get past what you disagree on and, and agree on. We're winning a city. We're, let's win a city together. Let's show the world what it looks like for fathers and grandfathers to be present, whether you're mine by blood or not. I see you. I see the gold in you. I want to pour into you. I want to lock arms with you. And there are some things I know that are eternal truths that I'd like to partner with you and give you my wisdom, give you a part of who I am that's going to help you be who you need to be. The world needs to see that. They don't need to see us competing or fighting for place or struggling where we fit in or feeling discarded or I'm leftovers now that I've hit this age and now it's time for them to run. No, you still have a part to play. If you're breathing, if you're on the earth, you have purpose in the earth and we need you. And my generation and younger needs to humble themselves and say, I don't know it all. I have access to this knowledge that doubles every 12 hours, but I don't know the life you've lived, the stuff you've walked through, the ground you've taken in the spirit, the wisdom you've earned, the nights you've been on your knees and the revelation you carry. I can't get that on my iPad and on my iPhone. I need you to pour into me and to speak into my life. We need to be a church that models that and does that really well. Amen? If we're not, we don't look like the kingdom. 
And I really want us to look like the kingdom. Secondly, I feel there's an invitation for us in the area of finances. The last time I spoke, I spoke on finances. Y'all are going to think I'm on a financial kick. Um, I just have lived something I can't unlive in the area of finances. I have seen God do crazy, incredible things when we surrender our finances to him. The only room for increase you have in your finances in a supernatural way. Now, you can, God can give you favor and you can climb up the ladder and all that's great, but still you're limited. You're limited in your own ability. And your failure to acknowledge that is rooted in pride. You're limited to what you can do. You are unlimited when you tap into unlimited resources, into a kingdom whose resources never stop. When you release your finances to the kingdom of heaven, God has access to your finances. God can make a way where there was a wall. We were looking at um, the giving over the last year and, you know, projecting a budget, if you will. It's really the first year we've been able to really project. This is what we're spending. This is, you know, what what we want to spend, what we need to do. And um, there's probably a third of us that give. And I'm not saying you need to give because Michael and I need a bigger salary. (laughs) You need to give because you need God in your finances. You need access to the kingdom of heaven in your finances. If you're going to hit the mark and do the dream and go after the thing and stand Romans 5 where you always hoped you would stand and give like you want to give and leave the footprint in the earth like you want to leave, you need to give. And if and when we're all on board and we buy in, not to, to leadership, but we buy into God, we trust you with our finances. God, you're going to do something with our finances that touches the city. It's bigger than me. So I, I boldly ask you, if you're not giving, what you're saying is I don't trust. Not to me, to him. And the only way to learn trust is to, to try it. God even invites you in his word. Test me on this. This is the one area you can go Oh, I don't know if I believe you. Dare you. I'm going to dare you on this, God. And you submit and you surrender, whatever. Try to start small. Watch God make ways for you, make rivers for you in deserts. Watch God open crazy doors for you. Watch God give increase and promotions and open doors and restore relationships and bring dead things back to life. I dare you to. And if you feel like, well, I've been doing it, nothing significant's happening, ask God, is there something else I can be doing? I feel the pushback in the room. That's all right. You need to give. The Word of God invites you to give. And if you want abundance in every area of your life, you cannot keep finances to the side. You can't. It doesn't work like that. It just doesn't. Lastly, God wants to increase our capacity in the area of legacy. Praise the Lord. Paul told me I couldn't wear my earrings. It would mess with the mic. And I said, I would rather die than take my earrings off. 
They're new. I got them for Christmas. I love my earrings. I feel like I can go anywhere in the world with a messy bun, no makeup, as long as I have earrings on. Amen. Word. That's just free for all you out there. Okay. Your legacy, the size of the footprint you make in the earth, the wake of calamity you leave on the kingdom of darkness, the invasion of light that your life creates, your legacy. God wants to increase it. God wants you to partner with people. He wants to network you with people this year. God wants your legacy in the earth to mean something. And so for you, that may look like laying some things down that are a waste of time, that you're not seeing any growth, or maybe it's a shift of focus for you. I know specifically God has been telling me to lay some things down. Not, they're not bad things at all. They're just literally tasks and things I do, and he's like, lay that down. You got, I need you to focus on other things. If you're going to do this, you need more time. And if you need more time, then these things you think only you can do, <laughs> you can't. Release them. Let them go. Humble yourself. Invite others in on the process. Link arms. Release that. Trust. Talking to anybody else in the room? So whatever that looks like for you, it affects the imprint that you leave in the earth. And there's an invitation for more of that. As you enlarge and increase, so will our collectively, so will redemption life enlarge and increase. And I'm not talking about numbers and size. I'm talking about big people, not a big church, big people, whole people, whole families, whole marriages, whole kids, wholeness. So as we increase, we increase, okay? It's not, make, it's not about making a name for ourselves. It's about making Jesus famous in the city. It's about being a beacon. It's about being a city set on a hill. And that is the invitation. That is the invitation. Um, Psalm 119.49 says this, Lord, you never forget the promises you've made to me. They are my hope and my confidence. Psalm 130 and 5 said, this is why I wait on you. I expect your breakthrough for your word brings me hope. So I want to declare over you today, there are some marriages in the room and connected to this body. And I'm just going to believe that the sound of what I reach, uh, what I declare reaches wherever it needs to reach. There are marriages in the room that are dead that need to come back to life. It's outside of your, even your capacity to think about what it would look like for your marriage to live again. But I say as God gives instruction and invites you to grow and increase, part of that growth and increase is your marriage. Yeah. And so I just say that every marriage connected to Redemption Life Church is alive, it's whole, it's healthy, communication is easy, years that have been lost are restored, and that your impact as a married couple that bleeds down into your family line brings life and health and wholeness to your family. In Jesus' name. I just um, I also want to say that those of you in the room that feel like God's asking you to take a risk, a risk like, uh, I can't do that. That's not fiscally responsible. 
like a risk. There's, there's this gnawing on the inside of you to take this risk. And if I'm talking to you, you know I'm talking to you. If, if you're like, uh, uh, I'm not talking to you. Some of you in the room, there's, there's this crying out for this huge leap you need to make, you want to make. You're just not sure if you can or if you should. And I just want to tell you, you should. Go for it. Running like a child in an open field. Stepping off the edge, I'm facing all my fears. What's stopping you? It's not responsibility. It's not logic. It's fear. Call it what it is. It's not responsibility. It's not logic. It's fear. You're afraid. Fear is such a sad way to live a life. And guess what? You're not getting any younger. Fear is such a sad way to live a life. So go ahead and jump on out and jump on in to every single thing he wants to show. Take risk. You were born for it. If it wasn't there, if, if God didn't put it there, it wouldn't be crying out. It's crying out because it's on the pages of your book. And it's crying out to be realized, to be seen. And if you don't let the pages of the book be lived out, you leave it for the next generation to live. I'm, I'm so thankful I'm living out some pages that weren't in my book. They were in generations past that God's allowing me to walk out in redemption. I'm humbled by that. I'm so thankful for that. But I don't want that to be my testimony to my children. That I left this undone, so now you got your book and half a mind to live. <laughs> well, does it work like that? I don't know. I, I, I saw this picture a few months back of, of four books, just dusty books, and then the one on top. And I think I was the one on top. It was open. And there were four dusty books underneath me. And I felt like the inv invitation of the Lord to me was, I'll let you live what they never lived if you'll keep a yes. Do you have a yes to God enlarging your capacity? And I don't mean yes when it feels good and God's near. I'm talking about a yes when God starts to break down what was so he can add to it and make it again. Is, does, does your yes run over into that place? Prayer team, if you'll come down this morning. pray over you and bless you today before you leave and the prayer team will be up here if you want to come up for prayer I'm not going to make for a specific call I just don't feel led to do that today but for those of you in the room that maybe have never said yes to Jesus yes just the risk to lay down your life and live for him if you want to do that today please come and let one of us pray with you and talk with you
Anyone else in the room that may need prayer about anything at all, the prayer team will be so glad to stand and agree with you. But today, I just want to bless you. Um, I ask God today that as your word went forth, as your invitation to enlarge went forth, that our response would be a, a big, fat yes. I pray that, God, when you look down on this people this morning, that you would find a yes in every heart that you would not find a maybe, that you would not find a almost all the way or all this but not this. I pray today when the eyes of the Lord are searching the earth and they look down at 8109 Sharp Road in this room, you would find people that have a huge yes. I pray right now and I release by the authority given to me, I release grace, waves of grace. I just declare waves of grace that overwhelm and overtake you, empowering you to, to say yes and to keep a yes from here until the end of your days. I pray that missed opportunities that we, we dismissed haphazardly and unknowingly, that those opportunities would circle back around and that you would give us another chance. I pray and I declare that this body would be one that grows in glory, that we would grow in the glory of God, that we would grow in capacity to house you personally and to house you as a body of people collectively, and that our house would get so big, it would be like the neighborhood that keeps growing and keeps growing and keeps growing, so much so that it annoys people who don't like the landscape changed. I'm asking you God to make a huge disruption in the earth with the glory of God and do it through these people do it through our marriages do it through our children do it through our family do it through us and I ask today that you would speak by your Holy Spirit the way you do the most perfect way for each individual that you would invite us as individuals to grow. I pray you would speak in the secret place. I pray you would show us what opportunities we need to seize, what things we need to lay down. I pray you would show us the broken, hard places of our heart and that you would make us again and you would make us a beautiful house for your presence. I pray for those of us in the room who are offended, who are hurt, and who are wounded. I release healing to them, and I release revelation. I pray that, God, they would be healed of offense so that they could have breakthrough in every relationship that they encounter and they're connected to. I bind the spirit of offense in Jesus' name. I bind you stupid, back-talking spirit of offense. I silence you in this house in Jesus' name. And I release grace for those of us to lay down our life and to connect as you called us to connect in relationship. I pray for the prayers, the, the prayer wheel to turn. Lord, they would just turn and turn and burn and burn on the inside of us, that we would be a house of prayer, that we would be a house who's unafraid to worship you and house your presence, that this would be a place that no matter how broken, how on fire, how long they've known you or how short, when they walk in here, they encounter you brand new again.
And it wouldn't be because Michael and I are so great, but it would be because there's about 200 people who have decided to say yes and house you. And they cannot help but encounter you when they come in this room. They encounter you in every man, every woman, every smile, every handshake, even greetings in the bathroom. They would encounter you. I pray our babies would encounter you. I declare today there is no junior Holy Spirit. They have the power to hear. They were created to hear. And I pray that our children this year, we would see growth, that their little houses would grow, and that the glory of God would fill their hearts and lives. And they would prophesy to us, and they would declare to us what thus saith the Lord. I pray our old men would dream dreams and our young men would see visions. I bless your people today. I bless them in every area that concerns them. I ask that you perfect it. And I ask, Lord, for grace for this to be the most ridiculously generous giving bunch of people I've ever met in my life. I declare in the name of Jesus, these are people whose hands are open. These are people who trust you in the area of finances. These are people whose minds are repeatedly blown by the goodness of God in the area of finances. I declare that this is a house of provision and will not only meet the, the needs of this house, but others we encounter because we are a people who understands if you can get it through us, you will get it to us. I bless every marriage and I bless every family and I thank you that you're committed to our wholeness. And to that we say today, yes and amen. So be it. If you want agreement in prayer, you're welcome to come down. If not, you're dismissed. We love you. We bless you. I would ask that you would just be mindful for those that do want to come down in prayer to just keep the atmosphere one where people can encounter and receive prayer. Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Be sure to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Redemption Life.